This week on Writers, Inc. But I think for all of us, it's that discovery process. I think most writers go through so much of the writing process and even their publishing careers thinking, I'm a fraud. Don't let them look too close. I don't know what I'm doing. I don't want them to figure it out. I still have no idea what I'm doing, but I'm comfortable now with being uncomfortable with with the process. (laughs) Whether you are traditionally published or indie, writing a good book is only the first step in becoming a successful author. The days of just turning a manuscript into your editor and walking away are gone. If you want to succeed in today's publishing world, you need to understand every aspect of the business. Editing, formatting, marketing, contracts. It all starts with a good book. Then the real work begins. Join international best-selling author J.D. Barker and indie powerhouse Jay Thorne as they gain unique insight and valuable advice from the most prolific and accomplished authors in the business. The publishing world is changing, adapting. Do you have what it takes to become a full-time writer? If you're willing to do the work, we'll give you the tools. Get your notepad out, school's in session. This is Writer's In. JD, how you doing today, man? Good. I, I, I honestly, I just got done listening to Joanna Penn. Um, and she had me cracking up because I, I guess, you know, like I, I don't make New Year's resolutions. I don't, I was trying to remember if I ever did that in the past, but I guess <laughs> she made one with her husband to, to quit drinking for, for a little while. Yes. Um, and he, he got, I think she said a couple 48 hours or something in and she made it five days, but she, she, <laughs> en- she ended that with it. It's not the time to give up wine and gin. I was like, I, yeah, <laughs> probably not. Um, yeah, that just, that just had me laughing. Um, I won an award. Congrats, man! Uh, yeah, what what is it? Number one thriller in the Netherlands. Nice. For, um, yeah, for Six Wicked Child, which uh, Chick, uh, can't talk today. Six Wicked Child, um, which is the, the third book in that four MK series. So that's always cool. Excellent, excellent. What, what's your distribution been like in the Netherlands? You have deals there. Yeah, that's um, I, I believe it's Random House who actually does Germany and the Netherlands. Okay. Um, and and a couple of those other countries over there. For for the most part, at Random House, you know, they're taking over overseas just as much as they are over here. Um, and then in smaller countries, um, they're you know, like in, in Poland, places like that, they all seem to have like one main publisher that that's that's out there. So if it's not Random House, it's kind of like one one company that sort of handles everybody. Um, but yeah, I, I'm actually trying to figure out who who publishes me in uh, in Norwegian. Because uh, I, I, I got when this award came out, I got a whole bunch of uh, tweets and like emails from people in asking when the book was going to be out in Norwegian, and I'm, I, I, I have no clue. Um, <laughs> but but I like to respond to these people, so I'm trying to figure that out. So I, I kind of pawned pawned the the question off on my agent, and I hope she responds before I have to really start doing some heavy research here. Yeah, I mean, just tell me you're brushing up on your accent, and as soon as you get it nailed, you'll you'll do the recording for the audio book. Yep. <laughs> yeah. I, and maybe they'll fly me there when this virus stuff is out of the way. That'd be cool. Wouldn't, wouldn't mind a trip to the Netherlands or, or Norwegia. Yeah. Yeah. Cool. What's going on in your world? I am uh, about four or five stories into my short story project uh, for 2021. And the first short story I wrote, uh, not very good. <laughs> <laughs> now, just re- refresh our memory here. Was this one short story a day or one short story a week or what was one, the... one a week? One a week. Okay. One a week with a, uh, a ballpark uh, word count target of 2,500 words. And uh, I'm going to do one a week for all of 2021. And uh, I did write the first one. I was, my short story chops were rusty. Uh, I got it, you know, I mean, I got it out to the readers. Um, you know, like I said, I know it's not my best work, but it was the very first one. Uh, but I'm, I'm on writing the fifth one now, and I feel like I'm hitting a groove. I feel like uh, forcing myself to be 
uh, write them and and publish them within a week is not allowing me to like hesitate and be a perfectionist and uh, and it's it's like it's like working out you know those muscles are getting toned and uh, I'm feeling better about it now. Oh, that's good. I, I'm actually trying to catch get, get caught up. I taught a um, master class for ITW on Monday and Tuesday. Um, and that's one of those things where it just it, it really took me out of my, my normal groove because I get so into my routine. You know, I'm just yeah. so used to just getting up and hitting the ground and running, you know, and writing and then you know doing this, this other stuff. And, you know, eight hours going towards teaching a class like it just completely threw me. So I'm trying to trying to get back into that. Um, but it just it brought back just a lot of memories because I remember being on the other side of those those classes, you know, like, the you know, trying to figure out how to get published. And now I've got these people asking me, you know, well, how do I get published? And <laughs> um, yeah, but I mean, more power to you i mean writing out a, a short story one even once a week i mean you're if you're at four or five already you're already ahead of the game so i'm trying to give myself a little bit of a buffer just in case yeah yeah you're gonna just run out of steam <laughs> <laughs> well it's like i don't like if i don't know if i get sick or i'm traveling or something i figure if i have the two or three week buffer then i can take a week off if i need to so i am working ahead a little bit cool um yeah, yeah it's, that's tough but i mean it's it's nice to see you sticking with it We'll see. It's only January, <laughs> but I, I committed to it. I mean, I, I sold it to my list uh, and, and so uh, people paid for it. So I think that's going to really help me keep accountable too. like it's it's not a project I can just quit because uh, yeah, I got I got to honor those readers. So uh, we'll see. Yeah, I'm, I'm trying to get through this current book. I'm, I'm writing it in first person, which is always tricky because, you know, everything's got to happen in front of that one character. And like, I'm, I'm really trying to keep myself from throwing in, you know, some other point of view. Like, I really want to get the whole novel knocked out from that one person. But, you know, every day I sit down, I'm like, well, you know, if I add so and so to the story, I could do this, this and this. Um, but I know if I do that, this book is going to end up being 120,000 words. And I really want to try and get it done at 80. So 80. 80,000. Yeah. There's that, no way. Come that's, on. That's, that's, that's the goal. I'm trying to hit that. That's my, my, my target. I don't know if it's going to happen, but if I'm anywhere close to that, I'll be a happy camper. Yeah. As long as it's not 200,000 again, then we're all good. <laughs> Do you have a, a book out to beta readers right now too? Um, I don't have anything with beta readers. Uh, Caller's Game comes out in February. Oh, Caller's Game's on arts, yeah, so right? That, yeah. yeah. So that, that's pretty much done. Um, it, it's still, you know, we're, we're working things out with foreign publishers. I've got a lot of weird stuff going on with, with them. I mean, we've got all the same players kind of involved. Um, but like my publisher in Romania asked if uh, Romania asked if they could publish a, like a week early um, because they may have to close their offices down because of the virus. Oh. Um, so it's actually you know, normally they wait until the U.S. publication date and then they all kind of fall in line after that. And some of them are, you know, a year or two after the, the U.S. publication date. This is the first time I've ever had a foreign publisher want to get a jump on the U.S. date. Um, but they said if they didn't do it in their office closes, then it could be, you know, six months, a year or whatever before they, they get back to it. Mm. Um, so that's a little weird. Um, Recorded Books bought the, the audio rights for it, and um, they're trying to reach out to a, a couple of, of really big Hollywood actors uh, to do the, the narration, which is cool, because apparently a lot of people are, are home right now or just have are available um, right. because they're, they're not doing that. So you can get some really, really cool people. Um, so I'm waiting to see how that plays out. Um, but you know, because of that, the, the audiobook still isn't available, you know, because they, they haven't recorded it yet. And, you know, we're, we've only got a month left. So I know at some point soon they're going to have to pull the trigger. If they don't get the people that they want, they're going to have to circle back to the, the reliable, you know, narrators they've got in their stable and, and get a book out there. Now, with, without spoiling anything, uh, does the nature of this story lend itself to a more creative audiobook production? 
Yeah, absolutely. I mean, because the, the story is told, it's the, the main character is a female Howard Stern. That's kind of how I've described her. Um, just a very snarky, um, you know, voice on, on satellite radio. Just says whatever, you know, kind of pops into her head. Um, she's got a huge audience and, and somebody calls in uh, and basically offers her a choice. And she doesn't realize that the, the, the answer that she gives has consequences. Um, and, and it's told from two point of views. It's, it's her point of view and then also a, a cop. So it kind of bounces back and forth. Um, it's being dubbed uh, Die Hard uh, meets talk radio because uh, it's just it's, it's solid adrenaline from the from the first page to the last. So from a narration standpoint, they're trying to get one strong female and one strong male because the POVs bounce back and forth. Um, so we'll, we'll see where it goes. Cool. All right. Looking forward to that. All right. We're going to give a shout out to our wonderful sponsors over at Kobo Writing Life. Tara and her team are wonderful. Uh, if you're not on Kobo yet and you're publishing wide, what are you waiting for? Uh, you have opportunities to get your books in many different countries. You, there's promotional opportunities and uh, all of that without any exclusivity agreements. So if you want more information on Kobo Writing Life, head on over to KoboWritingLife.com. Also a reminder, if you would like to become a patron of the Writers Inc. podcast, you can do that by going to patreon.com slash writers inc. podcast. So who do we have up this week, JD? Today we have Lisa Gardner. So Lisa's a lot of fun. Um, you know, we talked a little bit about her last week. I, I, I don't personally know her. Like we, we had the same real estate agent when we were shopping for houses up here in, in uh, New Hampshire. Um, and she's on the board with ITW. So I've gotten to, you know, we've talked a little bit. Um, and like the more I talk to her, the more fun she, you know, more fun she seems to be. Um, she's got a, a very storied past and she's been doing this for a while. I think 30, 30 plus years now. Uh, but number one New York Times bestseller at this point. Um, her new book is called uh, Before She Disappeared. I've got a copy right here and it is awesome it comes out on tuesday which um i guess will be tomorrow um you know the day after this, this uh, podcast comes out um and it was a, a little bit of a stretch for her because it's her first um, standalone novel that she's put out in i think almost 20 years I and mean, the, the rest of her books have been uh, series based um so that's got to be a little scary for for somebody to do especially at that level you know and everybody's kind of expecting you to do one thing and you do something totally different uh, but it's a fantastic book so i, I can't wait to see how it does Nice. Lisa's a heavy hitter, so I think this is going to be a fun conversation. Yep. Here she is, Lisa Gardner. How many friends have you killed or how many buddies have you maimed? Oh, a lot. Oh, my gosh. So the idea for the Kill a Friend Meme a Buddy Sweepstakes started way back when we were first launching the Internet. So what, two decades? Wow. Okay. Um, and it's so funny now because if you're a novelist, you're doing – Facebook and Instagram and, and Twitter. And now maybe we're learning TikTok. but back in the day, it was, it was daring enough to have a website. <laughs> and when you started your website, you were supposed to, you know, offer something. So they said you needed a contest. I'm like, but I don't do anything. <laughs> so I'm like, well, I kill people. And I was like, ah, actually, yeah, that works. And I got to tell you the kill a friend, meme and buddy, my new book, Before She Disappeared, which is out January 19, not just do two people die, but the, the primary person, 36 people nominated her for death. Wow. <laughs> I'm believing it's her family and friends who loved her that much, but you could look at that many ways. <laughs> that's been, I think that's the best name of a, of, a, of a book promotion you could ever come up with. It's fantastic. Well, I don't know about you, but when I first started out my career, I'll be honest, my very first suspense novel, The Perfect Husband, was a serial killer book. Many people died. At a certain point, I needed names for these people to die. 
So it's like whatever boss ever did me wrong dies in that book. But I mean, 30 years later, I've killed a lot of people. I now need help. And this is my public service offering to others. <laughs> I, I think that's a, that's a perfect tweetable quote is in 30 years, I've killed a lot of people. <laughs> Gosh, there was a review organization. Who were they? They would actually tally the body count in a book. And I had one of my books, so like 33 people died in this book. I'm like, no way. But yeah, it was one of those books where there's a lot of past death, like, you know, the serial killer had killed, but their math was spot on. But there's something, even when you know you are writing this stuff, to have someone put it in those kinds of numbers, that's a little, maybe I am bloodthirsty. Maybe I do have a problem. <laughs> <laughs> well, we are definitely going to have a link to your new book in the show notes. But can, can you tell us a little bit about uh, Before She Disappeared without spoiling anything? Sure. Most of my books as a suspense novelist, I get from the headlines. I'm very inspired by the real crazy crimes around us. In the case of Before She Disappeared, I had read an article about a woman on tribal lands who was very distressed by the number of women that went missing and weren't even reported, weren't even looked for. Elisa Yellowbird Chase is her name, and it's kind of opened up this wider world of very much for missing persons cases, where you go missing, your race, um, the socioeconomics of where you live, become huge variables and how much attention and investigative power is gonna be thrown at your case. And she was so distressed by this, she started doing it herself. Just an everyday person, no one else is looking for these women, I'm gonna do it. I love that notion of the everyday hero. All of my books have been an FBI agent to Boston cop, um, a victim term vigilante, but just that some person sitting in their living room reading the internet <laughs> is kind of like enough is enough. I'm going to do this. And what does it look like? I mean, so it's both kind of that headline angle and just I'm drawn to questions. If you give up everything to start going from town to town to pursue the missing persons that no one else is looking for, what does that life look like? And that became Before She Disappeared, where we have Frankie Elkin, a recovering alcoholic, likes to say she's short on belongings, long on regret. And she goes from town to town. And this is actually how she stays sober, looking for people the rest of the world has forgotten. Wow. What type of, uh, what type of research or preparation did you have to do before you started the drafting process? You know, it was really interesting. So I love research. I mean, I got into suspense because honestly, I, I mean, I am that person that's watching true crime, like, you know, a hundred hours a week for my sofa. And, um, you know, I live in a low crime neighborhood, but that doesn't mean I have things locked up all the time because they're coming for you. But um, so for me, writing suspense novels has been a really cool way to, you know, cold call the body farm. Hey, I'm an author working on a book. Can I come play? You know, the FBI Academy, I've been to a lot of prisons which is a little harder to work into cocktail party conversation. But <laughs> <laughs> so to do a book where it's none of that. I mean, the whole point is Frankie Elkin is you or me. And I thought it was really important that she not be a hacker. 
because I, I don't like it when the computer becomes, you know, the answer to all your problems or I can go through 29 layers of security and I can tell you the name of your cat when you had me when you were five. I mean, that seems like a gimme. So just, it was really interesting to go through this book, just if you're an everyday person, limited financial means. She doesn't even have a, a smartphone. It would be too expensive. I mean, this is a woman who is living kind of on the edge of society. Um, I mean, she will tell you she's a professional bartender because that's what you can do going from town to town. You can always get a job as a bartender. And Frankie Elkin's superpower is listening. Hmm. That's it. There's no cool forensics. There's no cool. Her superpower is listening. But I found it rather therapeutic and if not timely to write. I feel like for many of us this past year, the superpower of listening has been underrated. <laughs> yes. We could use more of it. <laughs> yes. And you've written many books, great commercial success and critical success. And uh, what in, in this book and, and decades into your career, what did you learn about yourself as a writer uh, from this project? Or what surprised you about this project that maybe hadn't come up in some of your previous works? Well, so I'm going to just, you know, again, we're talking to writers, so I'm just going to go there. I mean, I didn't know you could be a writer. I'll be the first to say I grew up in rural Oregon. I'd never met an author, an editor, an agent. I mean, clearly I love to read. I can't think of any of us in this business that aren't passionate about reading books. But my own family are engineers and both my parents are accountants. This daughter that wanted to go off and write stories was just an odd duck. So I feel like for me, a lot of the journey has been, no, there's legitimate legitimacy and just sitting down and I do have voices in my head and they are telling me to kill. And <laughs> this is how I'm channeling them right now. <laughs> but just, you can't avoid it. It's interesting to me. I always say writing isn't something you do with someone you are. And I think 30 years later, it's just been owning that. This yeah. is who I am. I get these crazy ideas. I read things in the paper and other people are like, that's a cool story. I'm like, that's a book. <laughs> and I spend a lot of time alone writing these stories and thank heavens so many readers love them. But I think for all of us, it's that discovery process. I think most writers go through so much of the writing process and even their publishing careers thinking, I'm a fraud. Don't let them look too close. I don't know what I'm doing. I don't want them to figure it out. I still have no idea what I'm doing, but I'm comfortable now with being uncomfortable with, being, <laughs> with the process. <laughs> That's wonderful. I, I know, um, in, in some email exchanges we've had, uh, you talked about risk being sort of an important yeah. component of your career. Can, can you elaborate on that and, and sort of uh, what role risk plays and how you approach it? Well, I mean, writing a novel all by myself, beginning, middle, end. I was 17 when I wrote my first book. And again, in a vacuum. It's not like I grew up in an artistic family. It's not like I knew other people that did this. I was a huge reader and I just had to tell the story. And I just did it one summer. Um, it just, and I can't really explain it other than that. You're 17, you think you're invisible, 
invincible. No one's ever talked about New York and that selling novels is impossible. And what the hell are you thinking? My family did think I was weird, but I wrote a book. And then honestly, I put it under a bed. And then a year later, people are like, why do you have a manuscript? You should do something. Apparently normal people don't write a book over the summer. <laughs> Who knew? <laughs> so then it was like, well, how do you publish? And back in those days, that was stuff you learned in the library. So I did. And lo and behold, three years later, someone bought that book. And I was kind of just grateful. I didn't expect that to ever happen. My expectations were low. And then I went out into the real world. I graduated from college and I started to realize the real world kind of sucks. <laughs> I mean, there's bosses, there's cubicles, there's pantyhose. There's not a lot to recommend the real world. And what I really loved was writing. And even though I was a published author, I'll be the first to say for published authors out there, you don't start out making tons of money. I mean, like I bought a computer with the amount of money I made off my first book <laughs> so I could write the second. So it became, well, how do you do this? And the answer became to leave. I had a great job. I was a research analyst with a consulting firm in Boston. I mean, I made frankly a shitload of money and I traveled all over the world and it became, I don't want to do this. I'd rather write a book. So I quit. My father to this day still does not enjoy memories of that discussion. <laughs> yes, I'm walking away from healthcare <laughs> and salary <laughs> and stability because, and I did some research. What I was writing then was romantic suspense. That's a small market. This is back in the day when women particularly were exploding in the thriller world from Tammy Hogue, Iris Johansson, or Roberts, Sandra Brown. I'm like, I'm going to do that. So I took a year, even though I was published. So you think it's not as scary, but I was published. Like I made, you know, money to go out to dinner. <laughs> I kind of published. And um, I wrote a serial killer book of a guy who broke out of prison. And lo and behold, that did the trick. Um, it had actually had a bidding war and I not worn pantyhose since. Nice. <laughs> uh, what was that conversation with your dad like? Not fun. Um, you know, it's interesting. Again, art isn't something you do with someone you are. And you have to kind of just say, I need to pursue this dream. I'm very hesitant. I'll be the first to say when I have people come to me saying, I've given, I've quit everything. and I have a wife and I have kids and I'm giving myself one year to sell the great American novel. I'm like, e, you know, dicey proposition. I will argue, this is the lesser known story. I had a phone sex job during the year I was writing my book. <laughs> Great hours. You worked late at night. <laughs> because, you know, income is still good. But I think at the end of the day, most of us are driven. It's a compulsion to write. Um, the next big turning point for me became I was published originally. My first thriller was The Perfect Husband. It was a paperback book. Did extraordinarily well, but how to get into hardcover. I mean, once you start publishing in paperback, you get kind of pigeonholed. You know, now we can't even give away paperbacks, I guess <laughs> the equivalent, <laughs> but, but you know, you're, she's that kind of author. And um, there were more risks along the way. I had to let go an agent. I had to switch publishers. Um, I always argue if you go into the entertainment industry, if you are driven to be a novelist, you need to be comfortable with being uncomfortable. And as long as you can do that, you're going to have a great time. You're really going to enjoy it. 
<laughs> did, did you? Yeah. <laughs> There's sort of, um, I don't want to call them competing viewpoints or d differing viewpoints on this, but you can you can say like well i'm going to i'm going to go all in i'm going to double down like like the example you gave of i have one year and i'm going to do this and i have no safety net and then there is i'm going to sort of uh i'm going to save some money maybe or i'm i'm going to work jobs on the side that will help me f slowly finance my way into being a full-time writer Are, is there a spectrum there do, do you do you have any thoughts on sort of one approach versus the other what helps me is I came from a business family, and that's actually what I studied in college, and I was a business consultant for a while. You have to look at the big picture first. What are your obligations? How are you going to meet them? No one wants to become homeless because they aspire to write a novel. If you have spouses, if you have kids, if you have external demands, you need to think about it. But that doesn't mean also you need to continue doing your current job like for example i moved to writing during the day and i did this other job at night which and i mean as a business consultant i was working 60 to 80 hours a week so that's why the writing was hard to go to an um an hourly job where i'm just <laughs> dialing things in well then there's plenty of creativity left over um i do like i think it's always smartest to give yourself a budget and a timeline um I think also for the record, if you really want to write, you're going to write. What is the adage? Um, one page a day and you have a novel at the end of the year. So for people in financial conditions, we're like, I can't quit everything and write. Um, you can still write them. one page a day, uh, three hours a week, carve it out. You can make this happen. It won't be easy though. But if you're looking for easy, I don't really recommend publishing, but. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And you've, uh, you've been very gracious in, in your uh, giving of advice to authors and uh, you have the writer's toolbox on your website. Can, can you talk about your decision to kind of uh, start um, helping authors and not just, um, you know, writing books and for readers? I mean, I joke. I mean, I, I, I classify myself as the writer's writer. I mean, I'm passionate about this industry. I'm passionate about us. Again, I didn't grow up in that artistic environment. So for me, the very first time, like I went to a writer's conference, it, it was like meeting the people who spoke your language. You know, people who were dreaming and points of, points of view, POV and, you know, head hopping and the stuff the rest of the world. I mean, my family, it does not come up at Christmas. These are not discussions they're having <laughs> at the dinner table. And I, I would say because I came out of left field, it was other authors who helped me. I didn't know how to read a royalty statement. Um, I joined my local writers organization in New England and it was other writers, other authors, published authors who were like, you don't know how to read a royalty statement. And I'm like, I have no idea. And uh, I mean, and I can actually read financial documents from companies all over the world. And this is Greek to me. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and, and they walked me through. I've always felt the camaraderie of authors has been extraordinary. Um, one of the things I love about, I belong to the international thriller writers is we do a whole debut author program and anything I can do to be part of that. I love the community. And I feel like we're all loners, but we all like, we all benefit from meeting other people who are just as crazy as we are. Being alone <laughs> together. 
being alone together. I love that. And it is a great phrase. <laughs> <laughs> well, I, I'd love to hear you talk a little bit more about the ITW uh, and, and your role in it and, um, and, and looking forward and, uh, and, and maybe, you know, Thriller Fest uh, and the future of that. <laughs> Anything you want to talk about the organization would be, would be great. So I think if you're a writer and an author, uh, you, you have to kind of figure out what's the level of socialization you want. But I do think your other authors, writers are going to be your friend. I'm also a big believer, like, uh, what is it? The high tide floats all boats. Yes. The more we help each other, the more people read, the more people read, the more books are going to buy. It's good for all of us. So I'm a big advocate of joining groups. And as a suspense novelist, my favorite writing organization is the International Thrill Writers. In August, I was very fortunate. They asked me to take over author services. It's a particular program I love for ITW because it's it's the hand up that I wish I'd had 30 years ago. It is all about celebrating the debut author, assisting with networking questions like, how do you sell your book? How do you promote in this day and age? Because there's so much more work now that's ours. Like when I sold 30 years ago, there was no internet and you certainly didn't sell your own book. Now it's this is like almost a full-time job in and of itself for anyone, for any author. How do you do that? Um, we teach cross-pollination and how to navigate the social media and how to start to manage your time because you don't want to get so lost in talking about your book, you're not writing your book, all that kind of stuff. So I think the debut author program is just amazing for the international thriller writers. I think every writer, chances are in your backyard, there is some kind of writer's group that helps keep you going, if that educates you along the way. I absolutely advocate sign up, sign up, sign up. I think alone together is a nice way of doing it. <laughs> Great. Uh, well, JD and I are, are really uh, curious folks when it comes to writer's routines. And I love ah. I love the agenda you have posted on your website, uh, but I would love to know more about uh, your your writing process. Uh, do you schedule it? Is it in a certain place, a certain time? Anything about your yeah. process? I'd love to hear it. Uh, at LisaGardner.com, there's a day in the life, <laughs> and it's 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 probably shockingly honest. <laughs> so one of the things I've gotten really into is biorhythms, creativity. What makes you creative? Because I think if you're at a point where you're producing a book a year, if you're a professional novelist, that's one of the things you have to start thinking about. Not just what point of view are you going to write in, what's the plot for the next novel, but how do you keep yourself going? And to that extent, I personally work best with a schedule and I work best in the morning. I get up early and I do kind of the ODARP 30 ritual. Um, daytime has a tendency to become Zoom, phone calls, all that other stuff. Um, I think for, as you are writing now, one of the things everyone should be taking note of is what enables you to write. I mean, do you do best if it's a consistent time? I have writing friends who um, work in bars because they need the noise and the chaos. And others are like, oh, good God, no. I can't write in silence. I play music. But it's just what works for you. So I get up I try to get pages out like first thing before this conscious thought, before there's any chance to for the internal editor to tell you you're stupid. And um, and then the second half of my day becomes the business side of thing. But I like the consistency. What kind of music do you listen to? All over the place. I really do probably more alt rock, but it's interesting. I'll get play 
themes for the book. So Before She Disappeared has some references to the 80s, partly because the 80s is really big with teenagers now. So Before She Disappeared, Frankie Elkins looking for a missing 15-year-old girl. I happen to have a teenage daughter. Oh my gosh, they can sing along to all of the music from our youth in a way that's just frightening to me. So I started listening to 80s soundtracks and, you know, my high school, which is Depeche Mode. Yeah. And um, and it, it just, it did fit with the book. I mean, again, anything that, that, that works for you, but each book has its own kind of flavor of music that went into the, the creation of that novel. <laughs> I love that. I, when I'm in the car with my teenage daughter and, and I put an 80s or 90s Spotify playlist on, she seems to know all the songs. Isn't it? it I think it's Stranger Things. Uh, and now we have be. Cobra Kai. I mean, think of how much of our TV has gone back to, we have been old enough, and I even use this in the book, that we are now trendy again. I don't know if we should be horrified or grateful we made it that long. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I know. It's our, it's the Gen Xers look in the mirror now. We're not those uh, 20-year-old kids anymore. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> but I still stand by Depeche Mode. And it's funny, one day on my web, on my Facebook page, I posted the playlist and everyone's like, these are, our, <laughs> this is our <laughs> so we're all growing old together. I'm so, standing by that too. There you go. That works. <laughs> Uh, well, hopefully we still have uh, quite a few years left in us. Uh, yeah. <laughs> so, so maybe a nice way to kind of round out the conversation is to ask you a, a really open-ended question. Given the fact that you've been in this business for so long and things are changing so fast these days, yeah. if you look out a, a little bit, a year or five years, uh, what's changing in the publishing industry? What, what trends do you see emerging? This is excellent question. I've spent a lot of time thinking about it. And I and it's interesting. It's it's weird for me. 2021 marks my 30th year in publishing. I mean, that's an odd stat that if you had told me back in 1991, I don't know if I would have guessed I would ever achieve. But when I started out in the in the 90s, I will tell you it was all gloom and doom. The mid-list is collapsing, distributors are going out of business, the bookstores are dying. I was writing romantic suspense back then. Romantic suspense is dying, books are dying, no one will ever read again. I paid good money as a struggling novelist to attend conferences to be told that books would never exist again. And I cried a lot and I ate a lot of chocolate. Like, I mean, I paid good money to go to various cities and eat two pounds of M&Ms because I was just consoling myself. 30 years later, the advantage of that starting out is we have been gloom and doom and people don't read and no one reads this and this is collapsing and that's collapsing forever. The fact remains, entertainment survives. People want a great read. They want to sit in their home at the end of the day and be transported. The mediums change. Audiobooks was huge. Um, they were dead. Now they're huge. Um, paperback was huge when I first, oh my gosh, my first book has sold like 4 million copies in paperback. I mean, those are numbers you can't, you can't even give that away now. But 30 years ago, that was the paperback market. But now we have eBooks. I mean, the mediums change, the angst change, our distributors change. But at the end of the day, the audience, the average person wants to be entertained. And as long as that's the case, Sit down, write a book, stop complaining about the rest of it. All right, Lisa Gardner, uh, 
Man, what a pro. World-class pro, huh? <laughs> I love the the whole killing people thing that she <laughs> she talked about and, and and it's so true. I mean, like I I've I've killed, you know, friends from high school at this point and I'm only a couple <laughs> books in, you know, like I you know, I, I'm constantly grabbing names from real life, you know, which is kind of a no-no because with every book that that gets published, the publisher asks you if you used any real places or real people. Right. And as soon as you tell them yes, then they make you get, you know, something signed, you know, from that person to make sure that it's okay. Um so her doing it through a contest is is definitely cool, but you know, it's it's, it's a fun way to do it rather than just using Using some random name generator for sure. Um, her new book, I just finished reading it uh, actually last night. Uh, it comes out um, tomorrow. I mean, based on the podcast, um, and it's great. And she she does a great job to describing a bartender, a career bartender, which is you know obviously completely outside of her wheelhouse. So I don't know what kind of research she had to do to learn how to become a bartender, but she, <laughs> she definitely nailed it because my my wife's brother in law is a career bartender, or my wife's brother, my brother in law. So this is what happens when I when I teach a class. My brain is completely <laughs> shot right now. Um, yeah, so he's a career bartender. So like a lot of the stuff she was saying, it was it was spot on. So she definitely has one in, in her life. Um, and when she said uh, writing isn't something you do, it's something you are. Um, yes. that's 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 so true. Yeah, I I agree. Like I just, um, I, I mean, I'm she she's been doing this for decades. Like, and you can tell. Like, you can feel it. And uh, it, there there's a, a confidence there, and 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 a and a, uh, a worker's ethic that I I just was thought was very inspiring. Yeah. And you know, she still has imposter syndrome <laughs> yes. after all this time. She says, I still have no idea what I'm doing. Yeah. Um, it, it's funny because, you know, everybody that I talk to in this industry, it, everybody feels that they sit down to write that next book and it's like, holy crap, I'm not sure I know how to do this anymore. Um, or they don't understand why anybody, you know, buys them in the first place or whatever, but they, they still pound out those words. Um, I love the fact that she walked away from a, a successful career too to do this. The, the story felt very familiar to me because you know obviously she went to school, she went out in the corporate world, she she did everything that her, her folks wanted her to do, and um, you know that writing bug it's it it, it grabs you and it, it just keeps calling and gets louder and louder till you finally give in. And and so many people don't, you know, they just they play that what if game or they say you know sooner or later I'll do it, you know, but they never get around to it. And it's it's always nice to hear somebody that did and and you know seeing her on the the other side of this, knowing how, how successful she's been since then yeah and I, I think it's it's doubly impressive because she started writing her first book when she was a teenager like yeah. I mean it was published when she was 20 or 21 but she started it a few years earlier and I just like to have that sort of drive and ambition that young uh, at that time too we're you're talking pre-internet you know pre-instagram uh, and yet she you know she's been doing it ever since and I, I think that that really speaks volumes yeah, I mean, personally, I was writing at that age, but definitely nothing remotely close to a novel. And I, I don't think I could have hammered out a full book if I wanted to back then. I mean, I was writing on bathroom stalls, but that's probably <laughs> about it. <laughs> That'll get you in a lot more trouble than it will a publishing deal. Probably. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And any other uh, big takeaways from Lisa or things that kind of kind of struck you? Uh, that was about it. I mean, she's she's doing a, a great job, you know, with ITW, um, and I think a lot more of that's going to come out now that we've got the, the new board in place, and you know, with, with everything moving forward. Um, so I'm I'm curious to see, you know, where, where that role is going to take her. Um, I, I, I she brought up how it, it was doom and gloom back when she first started, you know, 30, 30 years ago, and and that's very telling too, because I've heard that from other people, you know. I, 
talk to anybody that was getting published in the 60s, the 70s, the 80s, the 90s, they'll all tell you they just keep hearing the same stories over and over again. You know, bookstores are going away. People aren't reading anymore. People are reading less, you know, all, all these things. But, you know, it, it doesn't go anywhere. And like like she said, as long as people, you know, continue to look for entertainment in one form or another, they're going to need a storyteller out there to, to, to develop it. Yeah, I agree. And I, and I tell that to, to people I interact with all the time, like there's never been a better time and whatever time you're in, there's never been a better time right. to be an author. You just have to put the work in and you gotta, you gotta do it, but, uh, don't listen to that external noise. Now, if, if anything, just keep an eye on, you know, what, what's coming down the road, you know, like eBooks were probably this crazy, scary, you know, foreign thing to, to somebody like her that had been doing it for a while, but you know, she, she grabbed those and, and kept going and just like, she'll jump into whatever the next format is. And, and hopefully the rest of us will too. Exactly. Yeah. Lisa was a joy to talk to. I have a feeling, uh, once ITW comes back in real life, uh, Thriller Fest comes back rather, uh, she's going to get me in trouble. <laughs> she seems like a troublemaker, but uh, I'm looking forward to getting into some trouble with Lisa uh, once we get Thriller Fest back into the real world. But uh, yeah, wonderful conversation, delightful person, and, uh, and just a super smart, ambitious business person as well. Speaking of troublemakers, I think we've got Zach coming back next week, right? <laughs> oh, nice transition. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, we do. We have Zach is coming on next week, and uh, we're going to be talking about uh, something I've sort of... Uh, share with the writing community called a story rubric and it's it's something that my clients have been have been asking me to share and uh and i did that so we're going to have a an, an episode about it it's a pretty cool assessment tool that i think uh writers might find interesting cool all right well looking forward to it nice well to our listeners make sure you go to writersincpodcast.com and grab the free revision masterclass where you can see the storytelling process from beginning to end we'll see you next episode and have a great week of writing Thanks for listening to this episode of Writers, Inc. Access the show notes and leave a comment at writersincpodcast.com.